welcome to Lessons for Living. I'm Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. The 127-year-old nonprofit National Geographic Society has struck a $725 million deal that gives 21st Century Fox a majority stake in National Geographic magazine and other media properties, according to the Washington Post. Ever since it was launched from the temple-like headquarters of the National Geographic Society in Washington in 1888, National Geographic magazine has illuminated the world's hidden places and revealed its natural wonders. The iconic yellow-bordered magazine, beset by financial issues, entered its own unchartered territory. In an effort to stave off further decline, the magazine was effectively sold by its nonprofit parent organization to a for-profit venture whose principal shareholder is one of Rupert Murdoch's global media companies. Fox will control about 73% of the operation called National Geographic Partners, while the balance of the shares will be held by the National Geographic Society. Uh, the partnership based in Washington will include a portfolio of National Geographic branded uh, cable TV channels, uh, digital properties, and publishing operations, most notably the magazine that has advanced the society's founding mission, which was the increase and in diffusion of geographic knowledge. The magazine's domestic circulation peaked at about 12 million copies in the late 1980s. Today, the publication reaches about 3.5 million subscribers in the United States and an additional 3 million subscribers abroad through non-English language editions. Advertising, however, has been in a steady decline. The National Geographic Society was founded in January 1888 in Washington, D.C., by a group of eminent citizens who wanted to promote geographic research and the popular distribution of the results of this research. Uh, the charter members of the society included Alexander Graham Bell and Bell's father-in-law, lawyer Gardner Green Hubbard. Hubbard, interestingly, was one of Bell's early financial backers and had served as the first president of the Bell Telephone Company, the forerunner of AT&T. He was also elected to serve as the society's first president. The first issue of National Geographic appeared in October and was sent to some 200 charter members. It was published intermittently until January 1896 when the monthly publication began. More than 50 years had passed since God plucked David out of the fields where he watched sheep and brought him into the palace. For over 50 years, God's hand was over David, shaping him into the man well, God wanted him to be. And there were some rough times and many good times. and God worked on David to bring out some of his innate qualities, his spirituality, his humility and integrity. And, and God took these qualities in their raw form at the start of David's reign, and now here he stands all polished and honored to God's glory. David realized his end was near. 
And so he called together an impressive assembly of national leaders, including Solomon, the king-elect, to deliver his final farewell. These could be considered the knights of David's round table, his princes, commanders, and mighty men. Some had served the king right from the very beginning. As this aging warrior slowly rises to his feet, the room is filled with an air of respect and loving admiration. What is foremost on his mind at this historical moment? Is it the great battles or accomplishments of the past? No. David's thoughts are on worship and on the future building of the temple. First Chronicles chapter 28, beginning at verse 2. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brothers and my people. I wanted to build the temple where the ark of the Lord's covenant could be placed as a footstool for our God. I have made the preparations for building it, but God said to me, you must not build a temple to honor me, for you are a warrior and have spilled blood. Even though the Lord barred David from fulfilling his cherished dream, God had still chosen David to be king over Israel and forever a reference to God's promise of an enduring dynasty. And now God has chosen David's son Solomon to build the temple and to inherit that blessing. Rather than pining over what he could not do, David overflows with gratitude for what God has given him, a noble son who will live out his legacy. Every parent should be so honored. David's advice to his followers is this. So now in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, and in the hearing of our God, I say this, carefully observe all the commands of the Lord your God so that you may possess this good land and may leave it as a permanent inheritance for your children after you. Then David turns to his beloved son Solomon, whom the Lord gave him from his marriage to Bathsheba. And in an emotional moment, his eyes meet Solomon's and he offers his son some final words of advice. You know, I've often thought, what would I say to my son or to my daughter at a time like this? And as we might expect, David counsels his son about having a heart for God. David has learned by his own experience how hard is the path of him who departs from God. He had felt the condemnation of the broken law and had reaped the fruits of transgression, and his whole soul was moved with anxiety that the leaders of Israel should be true to God and that Solomon, his son, should obey God's law, not making the same mistake of his father that had weakened his authority, embittered his life, and maybe most importantly, dishonored God. David knew that it would require humility, a constant trust in God, and a constant alertness to withstand the temptations that would surely come 
upon Solomon as he takes this exalted position. And so his first piece of advice to his son is found in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, Know the Lord. As for you, my son, know the God of your father. I mean, when you think about it, it does not seem like sound advice. Did Solomon not know God? Had Solomon never heard his father speak about God and the miracles that had sustained both he and the nation? What was David trying to say when he counseled his son to know God? Well, what David was saying to his son was, love God. Now, you might look at it and say, well, the word love isn't there. You're reading something into the passage that isn't there. You're right. The word love does not appear there. But David is still telling his son to love God because he uses the word know. In John chapter 10 and in verse 14, Jesus is describing himself as the good shepherd and he uses the words, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, Jesus here is using the same expression to convey the idea that the shepherd loves his sheep. That's what it means biblically to know. It's not to know by uh, reading a book or to know by philosophizing. It's to know it by experience. In, in Amos uh, chapter 3 and, and verse 2, God says of Israel the following, You alone have I known. Now, it doesn't mean that the only people God knows exist as Israel, obvious. It means he, he loves Israel. He had a special love for Israel, correct? The word know implies a loving fellowship. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 7, and in verse 23, we hear these words, Depart from me, I never knew you. Well, does that mean he doesn't know? That's Jesus speaking who these people are. No, it means I never had an intimate, loving relationship with you. St. Augustine says, for Christ to say, I never knew you, is only another way of saying, you never knew me. Jesus here is describing those that have never entered into a loving relationship. So, Really, we could go back and reread David's charge to his son as, as for you, my son, have a loving relationship and fellowship with the God of your father. Next, David encourages his son to turn his knowledge into action. Verse 9, 1 Chronicles 28. And serve him with a whole heart, and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. You see, David here is saying God can tell whether we are serving him out of devotion or duty. So David warns Solomon, don't just go through the religious motions. 
put your hand and your heart to the task. David's advice emerges out of a lifetime of modeling. Solomon has sung his father's psalms. He has heard his father's ardent prayers. He knows what wholehearted devotion looks like from watching it in his father. Now it's time for him to follow in his father's footsteps. Finally, David urges his son to seek the Lord, to be sensitive to him, to listening to the nudging of his voice. First Chronicles 28, verse 9, the last part. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. You see, the opposite of seeking God is ignoring him, living as if he did not matter, neglecting to take his commands seriously. David is saying, don't drift aimlessly. Set your compass on God and aggressively, decisively live each day to honor God. Having said all this, David issues a charge to Solomon in verse 10. Realize now that the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do it. David then eagerly unrolls the temple blueprints. David's eyes gleam as he tours Solomon through each room from the storehouses to the chamber where God's glory will dwell. Then with a fine brush, he paints every detail for his son, the size of the rooms, the weight of the utensils, even the divisions and the duties of the priests. You can read it in uh, verses 11 through 18 of 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Along with information, David pours into his son's soul a passion for God. As, as he hands over the blueprints, David points to the source of the vision that he is entrusting to Solomon. Verse 19, David said, All of this I put in writing as the Lord directed me and gave me insight regarding the details of the blueprints. Building this magnificent structure while ruling a nation is not going to be an easy task. At times, Solomon will feel overwhelmed. So David's final word to his son is an encouragement that God will be with him as with the priests. Verses 20 and 21. Be strong and brave. Do it. Don't be afraid and don't panic. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not leave you or abandon you before all the work for the service of the Lord's temple is finished. Here are the divisions of the priests and Levites who will perform all the service of God's temple. All the willing and skilled men are ready to assist you in all the work and perform their service. The officials and all the people are ready to follow your instructions. But will the people get behind this costly temple project? Particularly when the bills 
start coming due. Well, David now turns to the assembly and he challenges them to make a donation to the temple by his example of offering his own treasures. Chapter 29, beginning at verse 3. Now to show my commitment to the temple of my God, I will donate my personal treasure of gold and silver to the temple of my God in addition to all that I have already supplied for this holy temple. Who else wants to contribute to the Lord today? Well, as a guy who's done a lot of fundraising over the years to keep ministries like this one on the air, I'm curious to see how the people are going to respond to King David's appeal. Now, one thing I've learned in my years of fundraising and in many other situations Leadership sets the tone. But I digress. Enthusiasm fills the hall as one person after another pledges gold and silver and precious stones to the temple. David had felt deeply his own unworthiness in gathering material for the house of God. And now the expression of loyalty and the overwhelming response of the nobles of his kingdom, as with generosity and joy, they pledged their own treasures to God and devoted themselves to his service. This has filled David with joy. David can hardly contain himself. He lifts his voice towards heaven, and in one of the richest prayers in the Bible, the first words to pour out of his mouth are praise to God as the supreme king and benefactor of Israel. You see, it was God who alone had imparted this disposition to his people. He, not man, must be glorified. It was he who had provided the people with the riches of earth, and his spirit had made them willing to bring these precious things for the temple. It was all about God. It's his love that had moved the hearts of the people, not the king's efforts. And if the people weren't moved, everything the king would do or propose to do would be in vain, and the temple would never have been built. You see, all that you have and all that I have and all that we earn and all that we receive belongs to God. Whatever God has granted us in the valuable and beautiful things of earth, he has placed them in our hands that we might freely return a portion of them back to him as an expression of appreciation and of love for what God has done for us. Whether it be the treasures of wealth or of intellect, they are to be laid willingly at the feet of Jesus, who is the giver of all these things. And say, like David, in 1 Chronicles 29, beginning at verse 10 through 12, O Lord God of our father Israel, you deserve praise forevermore. You, Lord, you are great, mighty, majestic, magnificent, glorious, and sovereign over all the sky and earth. You have dominion and exalt yourself as the ruler of all. 
You are the source of wealth and honor. You rule over all. You possess strength and might to magnify and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your majestic name. David looks at himself in the light of God's glory and he is amazed that God accepts his offering. His heart is overflowing with gratitude. Verse 14, but who am I and who are my people that we should be in a position to contribute this much? Indeed, everything comes from you. And we have simply given back to you what is yours. For we are resident foreigners and nomads in your presence. Like all our ancestors, our days are like a shadow on the earth without security. O Lord, our God, all this wealth which we have collected to build a temple for you to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. You see, David's scale of values is perfectly balanced. He knows that his palace, his riches, his throne, everything he owns belongs to God. And God can take it from him at any time. And it seems like the closer David comes to the portal of death, the more clearly he begins to see that life is little more than a wisp of air, a passing shadow. Yet it is not without meaning because God has given him the privilege of building a legacy of worship and praise that will endure for generations. David then prays for his people, particularly for Solomon, that they will endeavor to follow the Lord. Verse 18. O Lord God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, maintain the motives of your people and keep them devoted to you. Make my son Solomon willing to obey your commands, rules, and regulations, and to complete building the palace for which I have made preparations. In a climactic and fitting finish to David's life, the entire assembly bows in homage to the Lord first and then to him. A time of celebration follows. Solomon is anointed king and all of the officials and all of the mighty men swear their allegiance to him. How many more days David lived, it's hard to say. When the Holy Spirit shines the light back on David, we see that well, the lamp of his life is quite dim. The king's lifelight, once a blazing fire, fades and flickers like a candle in the wind and then goes out. Verse 28. He died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. His son Solomon succeeded him. With David's death, comes the end of an era. For as great as a ruler as Solomon became, he never quite achieved the stature of his father. The chronicles of David's reign are preserved for us forever 
so that you and I can emulate the heart God called his own. Imagine, if you would, strolling through the stately Galleria dell'Accademia in Florence, Italy. You enter a magnificent room with an arch ceiling, and there before your eyes stands Michelangelo's statue, the David. The powerful figure's lifelessness immediately strikes you. The chest seems to rise with the breath of air. The shoulder muscles tighten and relax. The head seems to turn. The longer you examine the figure, the more you admire it and the artist who created it. You see, the same is true with the real David. We marvel at David's courage in battle, his ability to inspire others. But if we stop there, we miss the point of his life, which was to glorify his creator. He glorified God through his humble admission of his sin, through his passion for worship, his preparations to build the temple, his grateful attitude, his beautiful psalms, and in his undying devotion. In all these ways, and many more, David expressed the master's action in his life. God has not set aside his hammer and chisel, you know. God is still creating masterpieces today from the raw materials that you and I bring him. Are you willing today to let God shape and file you into a beautiful work of art? What area of your life might you need to surrender to God's will today? And I believe if David could speak to us today, I believe his parting words of wisdom to us, I think they'd be exactly the same words that he offered his son Solomon. Know the Lord. Serve the Lord. And seek the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please take hold of our lives and shape them into the masterpiece you want us to be. May each and every viewer today make it a priority of their life to know the Lord, to serve the Lord, and to seek the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this was the last program in our series in the life of David. If you would like each of the messages from this series, either in a digital format or a hard copy, we'd like to send those to you free of charge. It's a gift from us to you. Here's the information you need to get your copy. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to our Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. There you will find information on how to order today's offer. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. You can also order this offer by calling 1-800-972-0337. I'm very glad you were with us today. I hope you'll be back again next time. 
Remember to visit the website, l4ltv.com. All of the programs are available there for viewing. Refer a friend, visit our Facebook page, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Santos underscore Bill. I hope to be back with you again very soon. God bless you. We'll see you next time.